0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham.
1: Welcome to Career Talk, your Career Insider here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the Career Director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program here in Philadelphia, and I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. I'm here with the Dream Team, Michelle Stucker and Dion Simpkins, who you'll be hearing from a little bit later. And hey, if you are thinking about a career change or you have a question, we are going to be talking about a very hot topic today, and we would love to take your calls at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday at noon Eastern Time, we are live taking your calls now. And our topic for today is... So cliche. So <laughs> cliche being criticized by our guest already, and I haven't even introduced him. (laughs) Well, little preview. We're welcoming back a very familiar face. J.J. Cutler is an executive search consultant, a.k.a. headhunter, with experience at some of the largest firms in the industry. J.J. completed his MBA right here at the Wharton School and is also one of Philadelphia Business Journal's 40 Under 40. I'm sorry, I just have to say, how long ago was that, J.J.? Uh...
2: (laughs) A few years ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm over 40 now. See, so
1: you deserve that for, for critiquing my, my, my intro. Me and Dion worked really hard on that. Hey, if you've ever considered calling a headhunter to help with your job search or you've been contacted by headhunters, or if you've got some great questions about negotiations or how to make more money in your current job, we are talking all about dollars and cents today. So welcome back to Career Talk, JJ. We're so excited you're here.
2: Grilled to be here. Thanks.
1: So I have to bring it up because it's it's current news, but you've probably heard about the the new Massachusetts ruling about the fact that basically in 2018, which seems so far away, but they're not going to be able, they being companies, are not going to be able to ask for your current salary. And this is all in an effort to make the pay equal between, you know, close that gender gap. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I mean, I think the idea of closing the gender gap makes a ton of sense. And I'm, and I'm totally supportive of it. I think from a practical standpoint, um, you know, how this law comes into play, and whether other states adopt similar things, you know, we're going to have to think through what we are really allowed to ask and the implications. And as I work with clients, you know, we, we generally want to know what people's current comp is, just like when a candidate, I'm on the phone with them, they ask, well, what's the budget for for the role? Or they want to know what the, you know, client's range is um, before we have a a serious, intense conversation. So,
1: but that's it, not really what you need to know. You don't really need to know what they're making now. You really need to know what they're expecting to make to make sure it's in the range.
2: Well, that's fair, too. I mean, and I do have candidates all the time who don't want to answer that question. Um, and so so there are a million different ways, I think, to ask and uh, be told information without literally finding out what someone makes now um, at some point it's pretty helpful and um, and when people don't want to the way in which they handle that question can be revealing and is probably you know worth worth getting into some discussion around
1: so as a as a headhunter as somebody who who does this constantly, how do you think this new law is going to impact the executive search function I mean do, will it change? the way you do work?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, um, there are a a variety of ways to get signals around, uh, you know, where someone is now and what they're looking to do. Title, you know, title gives you a good signal. There's a lot of data available in in websites. Um, People, like you say, people can tell you the range of what they're looking to make. Um, You know, most clients don't necessarily, I mean, especially at the executive level, it's not like there's one hard and fast number that they say you can't hire anyone over a certain, you know, a certain price. And a lot of times, when when clients hire search firms like ours, they're looking for a broad creative pool of candidates that could be from a bunch of different backgrounds. So it, it, it's not. I don't think it's going to change executive search at this level. And if it does, if it does uh, close the gender gap, that's a positive thing. And, you know, from my opinion.
1: Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We are here with head hunter extraordinaire, JJ Cutler. And we're taking our calls now at one wharton That's 844-942-7866. And we're talking all about money today, negotiating, getting a promotion, how to earn more in your job or your career. And Right now, we've been talking about the new Massachusetts law that has been officially signed, will go into effect summer of 2018, where employers are no longer allowed to ask candidates in that state how much they're currently making. So I'd love to hear thoughts from listeners on that. If you want to give us a call, 844 Wharton, that's 844-942-7866. But before we jump into that, we're going to go to Scotty in Virginia. Scotty, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
3: Hi, thank you. Um... I just had a, a quick question here. I'm a uh, uh, finishing my MBA and a, as I uh anticipate on entering a new type of market um utilizing uh my MBA. Um just looking for some some advice on um how to negotiate um my salary and getting what I'm worth coming, you know, from having a um, uh my undergraduate degree. Um how to validate um. Um. You know, requesting. You know, x amount of dollars. You know, now with this newly earned degree.
1: Okay. So, just a little bit of background information for us, Scotty. So, question: Are you doing the MBA full time? So, you're not working right now.
3: Uh, I I am working. The program is. Um, I, I'm working. Uh, taking two two classes per term, and um, so essentially, I'm going full time for as far as the program is considered. Um, but I'm also working as well.
1: Okay, so tell us a little bit about what you do.
3: Uh, I am an area, uh, an area manager um, for a, um, a, a, a small retailer um, in the uh, Virginia market, and um, uh, my background uh, encompasses sales and uh, multi-unit uh, management. Um, thus, um, my MBA will be in strategic management, uh, so I'm looking to kind of put those two things together using my experiences plus, you know, my my education, hopefully to, you know, increase salary.
1: Yep. I think that completely makes sense. So just to confirm, you're looking to stay with the company and maybe make a move internally? Or are you looking to stay in your current role and just make more money after you earn your MBA?
3: Um primarily, I, I, I'm looking to um, if I can stay within you know at my current company, which I'm, I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure if, if if it's in their budget you know to to afford me you know at you know at the newly MBA level or you know I'm also looking outside as well. Um, you know, the, for opportunities, you know that that may you know present itself.
1: Great, thank you for the background, Scotty. JJ's sure. just chomping at the bit to talk to you, so go, JJ.
2: Yeah, so Scotty, um, put yourself in the shoes of the employer. So think about it from both your current employer or prospective employer's um, perspective. And and the way I would think about it is, um, think about value that's tangible for them. That you now bring to the table that you didn't before you got your MBA and um, always talk about it in terms of how your MBA can make them more money and make you more valuable to them. Um, I see a lot of people in these situations think, well, you know, it's a degree, it's a credential. I earned it. I paid for it. Thus, I'm now worth more money. And I think to most companies, that's not necessarily true um so i would I would ask you to try and map out um, you know how how this degree is going to make you more valuable to the company and make them more money and and if you can ask them questions and get them to sort of answer those things for you, it may help you then you know roll that into a conversation about about you know more comp for you and 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 it, once you do that, there's a million mechanisms and levers you can pull.
1: I agree. The tangible value is what I want to pull out of that, JJ, because education is important. It's great. There's so many benefits that come out of it. But I think in terms of a company looking at a candidate, your actual experience or your ability to come in, hit the ground running and impact the bottom line positively is always going to trump that. So one of the things you mentioned is you're, you know, being in sales and I'm sure you've done a lot of networking while you're in your MBA and you've met people. And so maybe that's something that's tangible that you can bring to the table and say, you know, I've expanded my contacts and that's going to help. And as you're moving into the strategy type role that you want, um, you know, maybe there's specific actual product projects you've done with clients where you've gotten real world results that you can show how that brings value to your new employer. But completely agree. The fact that that there's an MBA is not enough of an argument. But when you can actually take what you've gotten out of that MBA or the networks and contacts you've made or the what you've been able to apply that's going to be what's going to be worth it to the, the employer. So thank you so much for giving us a call, Scotty. We really appreciate you calling Career Talk. Hey, if it's Thursday at noon Eastern time, we are here live taking your calls at one 844 That's 844-942-7866. And we are with J.J. Cutler, headhunter and money maker, right? So something, I, I, like yeah. something like that. Something um, like that. So I was reading this this pay scale Um, survey, and I thought this was really interesting, that it was in Harvard Business Review, and employees that were paid above market rate believed, 35% believed they were actually underpaid when they were paid above market rate. 45% believed they were paid fairly. Um, Employees who were paid at market rate, about 65% thought they were underpaid. So what is this perception i guess as i was reading this i'm trying to understand why why are people so off in terms of of where they believe they should be
2: yeah i mean it's kind of like that old joke uh you know um if every i mean no everyone thinks they're above average right you know everybody thinks they're above average and yet the average is the average for a reason and so i think um everyone generally everyone feels undercompensated everybody thinks the person next to them is making more money um, and in reality it 's it 's not always true um, you know everyone m- money is a very funny personal thing, and what people do with their money, how they spend it uh, how they talk about it i mean it, it it's it 's one of the most personal um, personal things we we ever deal with and talk about and and there 's still a lot of people very uncomfortable um with any discussion around it so I think it, it means that when you do a survey like that, you get people who just fundamentally believe that that you know they're underpaid and and it doesn't matter where they are I think relative to the averages is part of what I take away because most people don't know what the averages are Mm -hmm.
1: and it's it is that perception I mean I I hear people all the time saying oh I can't afford it I can't afford it and you know they're they're just getting back from a a two-week vacation and and you know they're they're (laughs) in front of their new big screen tv but I I can't afford it I can't afford it
2: yeah and I think you know that's just it I mean uh, it's personal um it's very um easy to judge um others and and again, money's one of those things that it's uh, you know people judge and um uh i what i what I think is most important is to think about before you ever get into a negotiation before you know Scotty who just called before he starts a conversation about um you know increase in compensation you know, figure out where money falls in what's important to you. And and if and for most people, when you really think about it, it's not 100% of the deal, you, you know, and, and if you and if you go in and operate with I mean, I get it, it's tangible, there's a dollar figure, it's, it's easier to quantify than work family balance or schedule or how much time vacation you get or retirement benefits. But generally speaking, there's a whole range of things that are important to people. And I think you have to go into these discussions like knowing yourself and knowing what's important to you before you start you know, figuring out how you're going to make more money.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I just and we – we're talking about this Massachusetts law and not asking people what they're currently making but rather having the employer say this is the value of the job for what we're looking for. But I, I just had a client email me and say, you know, I'm, I've been – applying for these jobs I got this offer and now they're asking me for my actual pay stubs so what, what are your thoughts on that I mean I, I that's that's even beyond saying what do you make now what are you currently at this is like we don't we're not gonna ask you we don't even believe you we want to see it in writing
2: yeah I don't love that I mean I I, I something doesn't feel right about that to your point point. Um, and, and I don't know that I'd give someone a pay stub I mean the only reason they would ask for that it seems to me is um, if they're if they don't believe you and if they, if they think you're overstating and it seems to me that that in and of itself is a signal that, you know, are these people you want to work for? You know, if they, if that's what they're asking for. So I, I don't, I don't love the pay stub thing. Um, you know, sometimes people do ask for, um, tax statements because they're because someone's trying to say that they made X and the number just sounds outlandish. And and, and it's like, well, I made a little more from a bonus or a commission or some deferred comp or whatever. And they want to see, you know, tax um, statements. But, you know, pay stubs, I don't know, that doesn't something doesn't feel right there.
1: I mean, even if I I got back to you with my pay stubs and I make two million dollars, which, you know, I'm
2: sure you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Congratulations. sure. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you here?
1: Because <laughs> I love it. Because mm-hmm. I have a love for it. Um, I mean, they're not going to pay me $2 million. Right, right. So, I mean, it, it, I don't understand, again, the logic. I, I get that they're – well, I do understand the logic. As a former recruiter, they're trying to get the best value for sure. the lowest price. But at the same time, if I'm making $2 million and I decide to go to – um, work at a job that pays a hundred thousand, They're not gonna pay me then.
2: right, right. yeah, I, I quite frankly, I don't really understand that and it and it would be you know a concern of mine. Um, hey,
1: I would love to hear how our listeners feel about this. So whether you're in the process of hiring somebody or you've gone through this yourself, give us a call and tell us what what you think employers should be doing in this case when it comes to hiring people and asking for your salary. We're at 1844 Wharton 8449427866 and we're taking your calls live. Candace in Florida, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you? Hi, how are you? Hi Candace.
4: So my question is, we know given certain economic data that wages have been stagnant since the early 80s. What data are you guys referencing for um determining the levels of who's underpaid, who's paid at market, who's undercompensated. Because I feel like, you know, granted, we do have more things in the society now. The cost of housing is just so crazy. And I feel like a lot of employers don't need to take those things into into consideration when they're making these deals with potential employees.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, Candice. I think you're bringing up a couple of different factors that I'm, I'm quite certain this pay scale um, survey, which, which basically surveyed 71,000 employees. So it, it was quite a large survey, didn't take into account. I think um, when companies determine what the market rate for a job is, I don't know that they're necessarily taking into account, um, you know, how much costs of, of living have, Increased, I think they definitely should be, but I think with the recent recession and really, it depends on on the balance of available talent to talent shortages. So there's so many things going into this that I think it's really difficult to tease out um, one specific factor that they're saying, okay, this is how we're making. Making this go, but I I completely agree. I think people who um, there are tons of people out there who feel like they should be getting paid more, and they should be. And we're going to talk about this interestingly um, after the break a little bit because it's it's related to our pre-break quiz. But and I mean, in my opinion, I think teachers should be making more money than anybody. I think that's got to be the hardest job out there, but it's not necessarily the way our economic structure is. Candice, do you have um, do you have a specific situation that you're referring to?
4: Well, you know, I, I live in the suburbs outside of um, New York City part of the time,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and the cost of living there is just so expensive. And then you have somebody who, let's say, they're like a staff accountant, and they want to pay them like forty five thousand dollars, but like where can they live? It's just so expensive, and I I just don't. It just seems like these employers. It, it's, at least regionally, aren't really keeping pace with the demands that are on people's paychecks. You can't really save. Those days are over. And if you do, you have to go on some extreme makeover edition, a, a, a extreme bank account makeover home edition to do it because it's just it's so extreme to do it. It's hard.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and no, so no. I, just,
4: I just wonder, you know, what these people are thinking because they're living in the same areas as these potential employees and their employees. And they don't see, like, how much things cost. I'm not saying that, you know, if the average for a job in the United States, let's say the range is, like, you know, uh, $40,000 to 47000 for that. I'm not saying they should be paying seventy, but they should try to do something, whether it's maybe an increase in some sort of benefit, like maybe tuition reimbursement or, like, flexible tax-free, um, flexible health spending or, so- or saving or something like that. They should do something to try to help because it's just so... And it
1: just keeps going up. Candace, I totally feel your pain. And I do know that, um, you know, if you kind of peel back the layers of HR, there are definitely cost of living ranges that most companies have. So, so the same job in New York City would probably be paid differently than that, that same job maybe in Nebraska would be. That's not still saying that that 45,000 is enough to live in in New York City, but I, I completely hear you on this. and I would love to hear from our listeners on on your thoughts about this because quite frankly, if everyone out there is feeling like they're underpaid, the question is are, are they right? Are market rates right? Who's right? 1844 Wharton, that's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. JJ, who's right?
2: Well, everybody's right. I mean, surveys, <laughs> or everybody's you know, wrong. well, surveys around perceptions are just that. I mean, and so, um, you know, again, I think you're going to find most people think they're above average intelligence. Most people think, uh, you know, they, that their marriages are better than everybody else's. Most people think that they're, you know, that they're underpaid. I think it's just, um, um, you know, we, we do live in a complicated Uh, World. Um, A lot more information out there. You know, things are much more transparent. We're going through a very big presidential election where income inequality and Big policy issues are on the table, and so I, I get it. There's a lot of you know angry, frustrated people, and this is a part of it. You know, but but they're right. I mean, per, per, people's perceptions aren't wrong, and and yet you know employers still have you know fiscal responsibilities not to overpay um, un, unless something else changes. Right? There's a policy requirement or a regulation or a legal action or you know something like that. So I think both sides are right.
1: So we're going to go to Shane in South Carolina. Shane, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hi. Thanks for having me.
5: Yeah, I'm calling. I'm calling in reference to wages being stagnant since the '80s. Okay. And and um, I would say that during the recession, companies did cut back. They let people go. They put more work on current employees. And then after the recession, we had somewhat of a recovery, and we started seeing GDP increase again. So I think a lot of companies realize that people were willing to work for less, and if a company does not have great ethics, they're going to pay less and still expect that person sometimes to do the work of what was, 10 years ago, the job of two people.
1: So let me ask you a question, Shane, because I— I hear what you're saying, and I'm 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 feeling like you may be giving companies too much credit that they pay this close attention to it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I, in fact, I'm I'm actually going to say they're wrong. But I don't. I honestly don't know that companies are paying that much attention. They they think, okay, we lowered the prices because we could, and now things are better. But but you know they've moved on to other issues. Now we want to look at retention, and we're going to look at that. And now we're going to look at. So I'm wondering if if it's just that companies haven't caught up. What do what do you think?
5: Um, I think that if they haven't, they need to wake up and catch up. Because I think that behind every great company, you're going to need some really um, high-quality employees that you invest in. If they can yeah, look at Google, they invest in their employees. Um, of course, that's a company that's doing well. But they invest in employees that give them uh, creative freedom, as well as the ability to continue to grow. And I think if companies do that, they will increase their bottom line.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean the reality is employee engagement I mean there's there's true links to high employee engagement and companies that perform better financially. And so the, the trick here is, I think, aligning, you know, increases in shareholder value to increases in how you treat your employees. And again, I would tell you, Google's a good example. I don't know that they pay all that much more, but they certainly keep their employees more engaged and more satisfied. There must be other things they're doing besides just pay. And I think as employees, we also have to be thoughtful about what matters to us and what's really important. It's not always just pay.
1: I totally agree, and I think that Shane, to your point, the companies that are investing in people—you hear them say it all the time—people are our most important asset. But you know, put your money where your mouth is. The companies that are actually taking action to make that investment, whether it's through pay, whether it's through benefits, whether it's through perks, and you know, other other things like Google does, making it a fun workplace—they're going to get that return on investment. And the ones that don't are just you know going to fade away. So I appreciate you bringing up that point Shane. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk and we are having a great discussion about wages and negotiating and money and all of these really interesting topics that are are bubbling up in the workforce today. You can give us a call at 1844 Wharton that's 8449427866. I'm your host Dr. Don Graham and we are here with JJ Cutler. So we're going to go to Matt in California. Matt, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
6: Yeah, I, uh, I just have a question about how to negotiate a salary um, with cost of living adjustments. So I moved from Chicago to Los Angeles about a decade ago, was given a cost of living adjustment. Uh, now I'm in rent control, and if I move with the company to D.C., uh, I'm not rent controlled, and the area that I live in now is seen as an extremely expensive area. Uh, so I wouldn't be getting a cost of living adjustment in D.C., even though my rent would, rent would technically go up 20 to 30%. So how would I negotiate a salary or negotiate a COLA uh, for moving across country
1: in different areas, even though I'm rent controlled Interesting.
2: And have you brought the data that you just uh, told us to, uh, you know, your relocation HR department and shared with them what you just told us?
6: I did. uh, They said they would look into uh, areas as far as whether they look into the city that I currently live in and the city that I would want to live in in D.C., or look at the, where, the, where both the offices are at in the, each of those cities, um, but the issue is because I'm rent controlled, they just look at if my if the average if the median rent is three thousand dollars here and three thousand dollars there, it's a wash regardless of I paid Let's just say fifteen hundred dollars um, because I'm rent controlled. They don't look at rent control; they just look at what the current market
2: rates are. And what about? Um... Uh, w- what about asking them to make an adjustment that isn't about cost of living or housing? So what if you can give them some creative way to adjust it that doesn't um, have them set some sort of a precedent or, or you know, I mean, if they can't find the data in the zip codes or, or where the offices are uh, to make the case, then you might need to get creative in giving them other ways in which they can adjust the comp to make it right for you, I'm sure they want to do what's right, um, but they probably don't want to set a precedent. They probably need some data or fact based argument, um, you know, a one time adjustment, um, you know, some way that they can do this for you, but not um, sort of break policy or or abuse a precedent.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think, I think that's one of the things that's interesting to me, JJ, is that obviously as an HR department you do need to oversee policies and keep things fair and that's part of the role but then what happens when you have a high performer and somebody who you want to retain and that retention need goes outside of of those parameters what yeah. do you do do you do you let those great people go because you're, they don't fit in or do you you know what do yeah, you do
2: you, you find ways to uh, to either create new policies or or to create exceptions i mean like we in our world, we talk a lot about, um, like, sign-on bonuses, mm-hmm. and it's kind of oftentimes that's what a sign-on bonus is for, is to create, you know, some way to not adjust someone's comp um, so that you're paying apples to apples, but it's a way to, to, to deal with some one-time issue that falls outside the policies. The, um, You know, w- when someone calls and says, well, my, my company has relocated me from Chicago to L.A. and now from L.A. to D.C., and and it's 10 years now we're talking, I mean, that's, that's a valuable you know, employee mm-hmm. working for a company that clearly you know has moved somebody and believes very strongly in this person. I am sure there's there's a creative solution without having the HR. You, you know, and sometimes you need to elevate it to someone more senior um, who, who probably does want to do the right thing here. And uh, and and it's a pain. I get it, but it's it's worth it. You know, it's worth it.
1: Yeah, it's definitely worth it in the end. And one of the things I would say when you come up with issues like this, I think it's really easy to for HR to just say, hey, here's the policy and like shut it down and, and not realize the impact to the person. So I think as the person who wants something more than HR is giving or is allowed in policy, I think, as you mentioned, you may have to go directly to the the hiring manager who recognizes the value that you bring and the value that would be lost if you left. Um, but also, I think whether you're talking to a, a headhunter, HR, or, or your hiring manager, I think going in with assuming positive intent completely changes the conversation. So instead of going in saying, I'm going to I'm gonna be ready for a fight, and I'm going to have all these points and rationales, I'm going to put them in a PowerPoint, and you're going to see why I'm right. I think going in assuming that they want to find a win-win, and okay, maybe can't be what, what you thought it could be, but let's brainstorm together and get a creative option. And in this case, JJ, it might be a relocation bonus or, or relocation dollars that maybe go above and beyond what, what you need, some kind of, of compensation that's not in the pay bands. But going in with that positive intent and saying, yep, I, I get your position. Here's my position. Let's work together to brainstorm something that, that maybe not on the books but works for both of us.
2: Yeah, I agree. And again, here's someone who's been been with the company a long time, been loyal. Um, you know, I think there's definitely an opportunity to do that. And I think positive intent... Um, uh, is a great way to start
1: So Matt, thank you for giving us a call Good luck on your relocation to the East Coast and um, we'll look forward to hearing how that works out Hey, if you're listening at noon Eastern Time we're live all hour at one 844 that's 844-942-7866 and we're taking your calls now I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham and you're listening to Career Talk and we are here with J.J. Cutler and we are going to go to our pre-break quiz Quiz there's a quiz. There's a quiz, and I, I have to say, um, I this one is interesting, and it's kind of a two-parter that that we're going to come back to after the break. But I was on uh, Knowledge at Wharton with with Dan Loney yesterday, and we were talking about the time it takes to hire people in the United States and how long it's taken, and how great candidates are being lost to this this long hiring process. So, I did some research on this, and the. Areas that take the longest time to hire are Washington, D.C. and the Pacific Northwest states. So, so out there in like, you know, Northern California and Seattle and Portland, these states take the longest from publishing that job to actually making an offer. So, my question to listeners is what U.S. state has the most cities with the shortest periods of time to hire? So, what U.S. state? has the most cities with the shortest periods of time to hire from putting that job out to actually making that offer. If you think you know, give us a call at 1844 Wharton. that's 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM Channel 111.
2: You're
0: listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand.
4: Show me the money. I need to feel the carriage. Show me the money.
1: Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We're on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with JJ Cutler. It's Thursday. We are live taking our calls throughout the hour at 1844 Wharton. That's 844 942 You can also email us, businessradio at seriousxm.com, or you can send to our Twitter at bizradio 111. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at at Dr. Don Graham, or if you'd like to sign up for my weekly blog, it's dawnoncareers.com. So we are talking about negotiating money, wages, cost of living, everything to do with how much you have in your pocket at the end of the day. If you have a question, we would love to hear from you, but we're going to go for, to Bob in Ohio right now. Bob, welcome to Career Talk.
0: Uh, great show. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Uh, I'll give you some point, uh, uh, points here. Uh Uh, Fiscal year just recently started, uh, July 1st. Uh, The uh, percent of increase that I got is less than 2%. I'm uh, right, probably $7.5 million worth of uh, business a year. That's new business and existing business that I've had over the years. Um, I am probably about a year away from retiring. They don't know that, but I have a new supervisor, and they're saying – you're already at the top range of your salary, you know, whenever you've been with a company 15, 16 years, obviously that's going to be the case. But um, any recommendations?
1: Okay, so you got a 2%, less than 2% raise. Um, how's your performance in comparison to?
0: Uh, on target.
1: On target. Okay. Uh, um,
0: different categories and, yeah, so uh, did... there might be one I was not quite... Quite there, but uh, everything else succeeded.
1: Okay, and they're telling you that you got this this small raise because you're already at the top of the range.
3: And
0: I I I, I, I know from being around that you know, most of the higher up uh, personnel in the company, you know, they're getting their ten percent, you know, with no problem. Plus plus a big bonus, you know. So they're probably eating eating up a lot of the people at my level, you know, from getting the raise that they deserve
1: okay so let me let me um, I'm gonna put on the hat of of your boss for a second um, and we're gonna kind of play this out okay Bob so you know you're 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 on par you're doing what you should be you're at the top of your range so you know we gave you a raise and alignment with that you know why should we give you more versus the other 10 people in your department
0: okay uh, uh, number one uh, uh, of the increased five percent over the last year, and the way things are going, it possibly could be double digits this uh, this year at the end of June. Uh, I save the company at least fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars a year just in things that I see and do and uh, have interaction with that I, I do save the company that amount. I can document that. So you know, between those two factors. Uh, I think I'm worth at least a five percent increase versus what you've given me.
1: And do you um, do you get a bonus, Bob? No, no. no they're saying now because uh,
0: my in the past, uh, up until two years ago, I did, but now with the uh, situation me being a high end of the scale, uh, they cut that off too.
2: Would you be willing to uh, take a lower base and put more of your comp? At risk and put some metrics around that. Um, moving into next year, I'm I'm playing your boss too. I'm pretending I'm your boss too. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, to me, I mean, sort of put your money where your mouth is. Um, I, I would I would go back and say, okay, I understand two percent this year. Let's restructure the entire package. I mean, because you know you're only going to work for another year or two. They don't. Um, right. You might say, you know what? Why don't you pay me? Ten percent less, but let me uh, let me earn up to twenty five percent, you know, more, so I can make back the ten percent base and another fifteen percent, and let's put together three or four metrics around cost savings, around targets. Um, but but I'll give you back ten percent on the base if I can make up to ten or fifteen percent more.
1: Do you think this goes back, Bob, to what we were talking about before the the break, which is the policies? The, well, yeah. well, the, yeah, these creative options. I yeah. mean, it, it is unfortunate that that. Um, everybody kind of gets lumped into policies that are, as, as we were talking about before, kind of play to the average. And your your high performers sometimes get screwed during that. But I do think if your company um, is willing to come up with that creative option – then that's the way to go because they're, if they're saying we have this pay range and we can't we can't do anything about that and that's kind of their sticking point, say okay I understand that, um, but but here's what I'm willing to do here's you know I'm willing to put some risk on the table as well as JJ talked about and see if we can meet in the middle. Yeah,
2: or I'll find something else to do. So next year I'll train two people, you know, or I'll take on another assignment or um you know or i'll i'll take on the work that somebody else is doing
1: yeah i think there's always a lot of creative options and um it sounds like bob that that you have some of these to play these cards to play if they're really sticklers on a certain point i think and this goes to anybody who's negotiating i think you need to stop pushing that point cuz they're just going to come back and say no and say okay let me back up and see if I can come out this a different way. And we talked about this actually a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this whole idea of mindset is that, you know, if if you keep coming up against this same thing, take it out of the equation and see what other creative options come up. So Bob, we wish you all the luck with this salary negotiation. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. We are here all hour at one 844 That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to go answer our pre-break quiz. So, okay. So we talked about this idea of time to hire. And that it seems to be getting longer in the U.S. And that some of the the areas that have the longest period of time to hire, so that time between posting a job and actually making an offer to somebody, are, are Washington, D.C. and some of the Pacific Northwest states. So like Northern California, um, Seattle, Portland. So the question put out to the listeners is what U.S. state has – the most cities with the shortest periods of time to hire.
2: We're stumped here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, no. I can't figure it out. I have no idea.
1: So, okay, well, Michelle? I mean, so stumped. Um, I took a guess, and actually, JJ, you were right along the same lines that I was saying, like low populated areas. So any state that has a low population where they're just desperate for talent and so they just hire anyone so that would be my guess i'm gonna give you you a hint um your hints so
2: far have not been yeah i know my my
1: hints stink but um so some before i go to dion i'm gonna give you a hint dion it's an industry it's okay i'm gonna give you a better hint i'm gonna give you oh you got it i was gonna give you a better hint
6: okay well i'll I'll take the better hint first okay (laughs) okay
1: yeah so um it's cities where it's a hospitality dominated industry
5: so, I know. okay
1: wait 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 wait, jj
5: now i know my guess is wrong because i was thinking <laughs> i was i was thinking still industry and now and that would be um pittsburgh and pennsylvania but i'm gonna go
6: yeah you can change your answer hawaii
1: Ooh, hawaii I'd love to be hired in Hawaii. No, no, yeah, I, I know
2: she's what it always is. Always me it's I'm not, wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is. I know what it is. It's,
1: it's not Hawaii. All right, ooh, all right. JJ's Jay, raising ooh, his hand. Ooh,
5: <laughs> ooh. Oh,
2: sorry. They can't see you raising my hand,
1: <laughs> but they can hear you.
2: Sorry. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's Nevada.
1: No, but that's a really good guess. Hospitality. I know it's not. What else? It's not Nevada, but it is. It, you're... Where else? Do,
6: where else does anybody stay in America? Okay, think
1: about this. It's summer, beaches, resorts. Worst quiz Florida? question ever! Florida, yeah, Dion, yeah. yeah, Dion uh, got it. Yeah, in Miami, Orlando, Tampa. These have some of the shortest times to hire because they have a lot more um, jobs and like hotels and restaurants, and there there's a lot of turnover in those jobs, so they tend to get filled more quickly. But but I'm not done here. I'm not done. This is this is kind of an interesting topic. Um, I'm going to move on to a, a kind of related question. So interestingly, one of the jobs that is The longest time to hire is police officers which is a good thing you know it takes a really long time they do a lot of assessment Um, that's also one of the most dangerous jobs so I did a little bit of research on the top 10 most dangerous jobs and then the top 10 safest jobs and we're gonna play a little JJ against Michelle against Dion on this because i think this is this is going to be i'd put money on them uh-
2: <laughs> yeah. i was
6: i was i was firmly good in your corner
1: <laughs> so so the way the way this goes is i have i have five job titles and you need to tell me if it's it's one of the safest jobs or one of the um Most least dangerous least safe yeah i love multiple choice this All is right. great well, it's not multiple choice. You just—it's safe or dangerous. I don't not. even
2: understand the question. Yeah, <laughs> let's get started. Let's just All play and right, we'll right, figure right. it
1: out. Yeah. Taxi driver, safe or dangerous? Dangerous, dangerous,
2: dangerous. dangerous.
1: All right, I'm—I'm I'm keeping score here. <laughs> Auditor, audit your taxes.
2: Dangerous, safe,
1: dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, veterinarian,
2: safe, dangerous.
1: Dangerous. <laughs> Farmer. Dangerous. Safe.
2: Very dangerous.
1: Really? Yeah. Like, oh, equipment. equipment. All right. All right. <laughs> equipment, <laughs> animals, I weather. I got it. Paralegal.
2: <laughs> Safe. Safe. Safe.
1: Safe.
6: That's probably dangerous,
1: too. <laughs> it depends on the
6: lawyer. Seems, it depends on the lawyer like you're supporting.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, and, and interestingly, one of the reasons I thought this was related to money, because what I, I found was when I was doing this research that the 10 safest jobs, seven of those pay over 50000 a year, the safest jobs, the 10 most dangerous jobs only three pay over $50,000 a year. So you're, you're putting your life at risk and you're not getting paid for that. And that's that's that seems disproportionate. And that's why I was talking when Candace called earlier, I was saying like, yeah, that should be a factor when you're talking about pay, the fact that you might die or be maimed. Um, so <laughs> so I'd say so. <laughs> I think
2: this. the interesting point is that I think a lot of safe jobs are highly skilled. And I think a lot of dangerous jobs are perceived as being low skilled.
1: Well, here's, here's the results of, of the, the quiz. So, taxi driver. Did I win? Yes, you did. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yes, you did. Thank you. See, I hate losing. See, <laughs> you don't even want to know the answers. You just, you just care about winning That's and losing. That's true. true. You're such a headhunter. <laughs> JJ's like jogging in place right now. I I'm like, so I, excited. I, I, I mean, yeah, he's actually leaving. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving <laughs> on a good note. I'm done. I'm out. All right, taxi driver. Yes, very dangerous. Um, auditor is actually safe. So I, I could see it getting dangerous, though, if like you know they're they're auditing you and you get really ticked off.
4: That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean I can. I can that's why
1: I I kind of put that one on. Yeah, there. You
2: basically sit with a green lampshade and look at papers all day long. I mean it's that's super safe.
1: People right. can be crazy. People are crazy. Um, veterinarian is dangerous, 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 and um, farmer. This was such an interesting one to me. Farmers are it's a dangerous job. see? It is a dangerous job. Um, and actually out of all the dangerous jobs, one of the the um, highest paying, which I thought was was pretty interesting too, although the growth outlook is is not good. Paralegal is a safe job. So some of the other most dangerous jobs, construction labor, corrections officer, these were a little bit more obvious. Um, truck driver, some of the other safest jobs, dietitian, mathematician statistician so if you if you have Ishin in career your name coach. somewhere career coach then you're probably in a pretty safe job radio producer <laughs> hey you never know so um anyway thanks thanks for playing along I thought that was I think interesting I got them take. all right yeah, JJ, I think we covered that um, earlier. Yes, but... JJ. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. You're listening to Career Talk. We're taking our calls at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to Ben in Georgia. Ben, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you?
5: Oh, hey. Thank you all for having me on. Um, I just graduated from college, and I'm going for my first real job interview after college. Uh, and the position that I'm interviewing for, they want me to move around as part of my job uh which means i wouldn't be able to plant my roots really in one place and they've offered me a per diem package uh that i feel is good but i want to see if maybe there's some things i can do in the interview that can make me that can allow me to get a little more of that per diem allow me to be a little more comfortable in you know moving around rental cars hotel rooms the whole nine yards
1: okay so what percentage of your job is going to be travel ben
4: Pretty much, one hundred
1: percent. All right, one hundred percent. Um, and it sounds like you got the offer, or you haven't gotten the offer yet. I, that's what I'm trying to discern.
5: I've not gotten the full offer yet, but I'm going to the interview to get the offer. Uh, I passed the first round of interviews, and now I'm going for the
1: second. Okay, so this is good. Then we're at the we're at the official negotiation stage. JJ, why don't you tell Ben how to play this?
2: All right, here's what I think, Ben. I think you should um, tell them that you will take the per diem rate that they give you maybe for 90 days, but that you're going to keep track of your expenses and receipts over over a 90-day period, and you'd like to come back to them with the actual expenses you have um, and do some sort of, uh, like an audit after 90 days, and, uh, and prove to them that the rate that they're proposing for per diem is probably not adequate. Uh, my guess is they just want you to be able to, you know, live appropriately, travel appropriately, and get reimbursed at an appropriate rate. Um, so I might I might tell them that you'll take the rate that they're giving you, um, but that you want to come back in 90 days with some documentation uh, of real actual expenses so that you can justify that the rate they're proposing is not adequate.
1: So Bob, okay. excuse me, Ben, is that an option for you? Uh, definitely. Um one of the other things I wanna I wanna say before um, JJ isn't everything negotiable. So everything is negotiable. So I, I don't know should should Ben accept the the first offer or should well, he, I mean I like your idea yeah but I feel like you should do that with the second offer, right?
2: Well, I, I guess I mean the problem with per diems is. Um not knowing all the details, um, and we talked about this earlier, I mean, there's some HR person with a policy who's probably making a lot of college hires. Ben is probably one of a number of people in similar roles. They probably got someone who's analyzed some data and has determined these are the per diem rates. Um You know, I don't I don't know exactly how bad the rate is versus what Ben's actual expenses are going to be. But I would be willing to say and again, if you want to do the job, Ben, and it's your first job after college and it sounds like a good opportunity, then you want to go in, you know, excited to take it. So I just don't know that you're going to have a lot of luck negotiating a per diem rate at this stage in career um, when it's probably pretty competitive job with other people who are just getting out of college. I would try and find a way to. Change the game, or or maybe to get you know to get to to shift the conversation away from the per diem to a one time adjustment, or or something that's about the region you're covering, or or the the price of something that may be different for you than somebody
1: else. Mm-hmm. So when you when when you go into this interview or this final meeting, where you're going to get the offer. Once you have the offer, I think it's important to reiterate how excited you are, and also that you're going to hit the ground running, and you know you're going to do great things in this company, and you you, you know you see all this value. Um, so I think it's important to do that. But and I, I think it's also important to take a day or two to say I just want to review everything I want to you know take a good look at it and you know can we set up a meeting in two days so I can come back and ask any questions this way you get to sleep on it you get to look over everything you get to do some math (laughs) behind the scenes and see is this gonna make sense for me and to JJ's point you're probably one of several hires they've brought in at this level, so I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of of flexibility here, but there's probably some and it may not be the per diem, it may be as JJ pointed out, a sign-on bonus, it may be um extra vacation, it may be all these things. But I I will tell you, I'll share an experience with you Ben. My my first one of my first jobs out of college, I did not um, I did not negotiate a sign-on bonus. And a couple months after, I found out that a lot of other people who were hired into a similar position got one. And I was a little crabby about that. And I, there's nothing I could do at that point, but I vowed from that day on that I would at least do one thing when I when I got an offer. I would give myself two days to think about it. I would I would come back and I would say this, is there any flexibility? And leave it at that. Because when you put it out there like that, is there any flexibility? That can mean a lot of things. It can mean they could up your DM. it can mean we can give you an extra week vacation we can change your start date maybe you want to take some time off you just graduated you want to you want to you know travel or something I mean is there flexibility does a couple of things one it doesn't negate the offer it doesn't take the offer off the table you're not saying I'm not accepting this contract but it opens a dialogue where you can start to get creative Um, and then I think when they come back uh, whatever that answer is I really like what JJ said as well because it gives everybody a chance to make sure it's going to work so that would be my suggestion Ben um, JJ I think is spot on with the the you know let's come up with something creative we wish you all the best congrats on yeah, finishing college congrats on your first job and you know be safe out there wear your seatbelts uh, we really appreciate you calling career talk hey if it's Thursday we're here taking your calls at one eight four four wharton that's 844 and we're here with JJ Cutler, headhunter extraordinaire. So, what is your what is your best negotiating tip? Like, if you could only narrow it down to one, JJ, what what is it?
2: So, I go back to um, n- you know, know yourself. Um, be be true to your priorities. Be true to yourself, and don't walk into a negotiation until you've really thought through um, I- exactly what's important to you and what matters and what doesn't. Um, a lot of people. Uh, get pulled in a million different directions by... Spouses or siblings or coworkers or friends or people who just are not in your skin and don't know what's important to you. N- know yourself really well and don't waste a lot of time on things if they're not super important to you. Uh, I think I think it's really important to to understand your own priorities, understand what's important to you. It's very personal, um, and you know, at the end of the day, you're the one who has to wake up every day and 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 work somewhere and has to be comfortable with it. And if that means you don't want to. Negotiate more vacation, even though someone tells you it's not enough. Then that's fine if that works.
1: Mm-hmm. So always negotiate.
2: I disagree with that advice. Oh,
1: JJ, we're ending the show on a disagreement, and we don't even have time to let like, go into it. All right. Well, mostly negotiate. Mostly, mostly negotiate. negotiate. Yeah. 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 No absolutes with you. Come no on, JJ, take a risk. All right. <laughs> we'll have to pick that up on on the next uh, the next show that you're on, but. Right now we are out of time, so I want to thank you, JJ, for coming on. How can people reach you?
2: So easiest way to reach me is uh, on my uh, email address. Uh, easiest way is jcutler at H-E-I-D-R-I-C-K. Hydric uh, and Struggles is where I work, and just email me there.
1: Great. And I want to thank Michelle and Dion, as always, for making the, sh- the ship sail smoothly and i also want to thank our listeners and our callers career talk is all about you we are here every thursday live at noon eastern time if you'd like more great advice you can follow me on twitter at dr dawn graham or you can sign up for my blog dawn thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time